Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our listener-submitted and selected mini-series. Won't you talk to Waititi Towns? Covering every film directed by Taika Waititi, we will fully spoil today's film, Boy, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Emmett, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, trying to keep warm on this frigid evening here. Mm-hmm. How about you, Wayne? I'm doing good. We're doing a little late night record. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is 9.22 p.m. on Earth, and we are here for all your listener questions. Yeah. And get this, I it feels just like the good old days to me, because I didn't just watch the movie that we're about to talk about, but I did just watch uh, another movie in this series. So it's like coming hot off of a movie into recording. Did, are, did you watch What We Do in the Shadows? I did. Or? I opted, instead of doing what you did, to wake up at 9 a.m. tomorrow and watch it. Have you ever seen so, it before? I did. I saw it in college once, but I haven't seen it. I don't remember too much of it. Okay. I will say I had seen it multiple times before, and it still slaps. Uh, very excited. Very excited to talk about that. But we're going to talk about something different today first. And we are honored to have a special guest here to discuss boy we are very lucky to be joined by a boy returning to the pod <laughs> please welcome patrick j turner jr oh man thank you <laughs> thank you i i am a boy i am returning to the pod uh it's an honor to return to the pod might i say it's an honor to have you back yeah especially to talk about today's movie boy i mean what a movie as a boy, how did you feel that boy captured <laughs> captured your experiences? I I can't speak for being a boy in 1984 in New Zealand, but <laughs> I think that the uh, the themes of sort of boyhood and fatherhood were pretty pretty fun to watch. I I'd say I'm usually a sucker for those sorts of uh, coming mm. of age sort of drama movies in general. Mm. Well, don't say the word boyhood too loud around Emmett, or 20 minutes of our runtime will be eaten up. (laughs) Richard Linklater is a hack. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Okay, so we've been asking guests, you know, this is obviously, Taika Waititi was the winner of Bumtober. We've been asking guests if they were voting for Taika, but Patrick, you were the leader of the Airbud army, or at least one of the leaders... There was a rogue faction um, of the Airbud army, I will say. But um, as disappointed as I was to see my children drop out of the race, mm-hmm. pretty pretty happy uh, with the conclusion. I did vote for Taika um, over Shrek. Big fan of all of his work, I would say. So. Well, we appreciate you being here. I said, whoever wins, we have to have Patrick on to unite the fan base. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is our real conciliatory moment. Uh-huh. Yeah. Even though there was a lot of talk about, you know, box stuffing, ballot box stuffing, etc. 
There were a lot of holes filled with. Yeah, there, it turns out there were entire holes filled with votes for Taiko Waititi that had had never before seen the light of day. I was just referencing the film Holes, which also somehow made it to the final four. Far. How did that? I mean, I think we should go back and look at the, you know, look at that. I think Holes is an all-time classic. I think the the votes probably speak for themselves on that one. Yeah. I don't want to get too deep down the voter fraud (laughs) angle here. So you've seen, uh, Patrick, you've seen Taika's stuff before. I mean, what's your experience with his work? I guess my first uh, introduction to his work would have been Thor Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. Pretty great. But then I watched um, What We Do in the Shadows, both the movie and the TV show, and I'm a big fan of those. I've made a practice out of like watching the show on Hulu with my my roommate, mm. and it's always always a good time. And Taika directs some of those episodes too, I think. Yeah, I mean you gotta you gotta love those vampires. We do. We certainly do here on Cinema Bums. We love our vampires. <laughs> we love the vampires. <laughs> I have been trying to get Wade to cover. Gary Oldman's Dracula 2000 <laughs> forever. I've never even heard of this until this moment. <laughs> but okay. Had you seen Boy before? Or was it a first time watch for this episode? Uh I had not seen Boy before, but I was uh I was pleasantly surprised, I, I have to say. What about you, Emmett? First time watch on Boy? Yeah, it was a first time watch. And I feel like this is one of those movies that like friends of mine were talking about in college mm. because it came out like I think right before I would have been in school. And so like I feel like a lot of the film students were like, Oh yeah, have you ever heard of this guy Taika Waititi? He's got this great movie, boy, we should watch it. And I was like, Nah, eh, sounds boring. Um and how wrong I was. So this, <laughs> you know, really makes you think. Let's dig into this movie, like Taika digging all those holes in the backyard, searching for money, and started off with Flopper Bob and some general thoughts about this film before we get too deep in the weeds. Patrick, Flopper Bob on Boy. I gotta say, it was a, it was a pretty solid bop. I went into it knowing pretty much nothing other than it was a, a Taika Waititi movie, um, and I was pretty impressed. It was cool to see like his style had been like so well defined even in like uh one of his earlier works. So I had, I had a good time with it, yeah. Emmett, flopper bop. I'm gonna say totally one hundred percent. It's it's a bop. Can't wait to dive into all the things that I love about it. First impressions is just it's great. You said it was sad and it it was sort of sad, but mm-hmm. it was there was something else to it. I think when you said achingly sad I think that hit it on the head. There's like a, there's something about it that is like pulling at you. One of Wade's favorite things to track in movies is like the stories going on in the background. And I feel like this movie Mm -hmm. is thick with those. Definitely. Which always like helps bring a sense of, even when there's like goofy wacky stuff going on, it brings a sense of realism because you believe that all of those people have full emotional lives going on off, off the side of the screen. Yeah. Wait, flopper bop. Bop for me. I I loved this movie. I thought it was so good. Yeah, I it did make me really sad. To be honest, it like ruined my whole evening, kind of <laughs> when I saw it. But I thought it was so good. It just like specifically this type of stuff 
that this is not poverty porn, but like specifically movies kind of about just like poor families, Mm -hmm. just like very realistically trying to make things work. Like that always like really like makes me so sad. Very Christmas shoes y mm-hmm. <laughs> that sort of way. So yeah, like a lot of it was just really tough, but I do really love it and I feel like it's I mean, I thought that it was much better than I've heard it really being talked about. Mm. Like I felt like this was sort of like a big play for Tycho. Especially kind of thinking about this as his second movie, both in terms of what Patrick is talking about that like a lot of staples of his future work is here but also like considering how different this movie is from Eagle versus Shark well, it is kind of similar to this movie there's uh-huh. there's similarities that are like it's episodic both these films are like kind of just a bunch of different scenes that add up to telling a story but don't necessarily feel like it's not propelled by plot as you're watching it Mm-hmm. And I think that's true in both of those films. The relationship here is a good deal more complex. Yeah. And like more interesting. So there's that. But also those like weird little animations that are all throughout Eagle versus Shark that come back in, in this and mm-hmm. all sorts of wonderful ways. Those are also in Two Cars One Night. Oh, yeah. And all three of these, like not the same specific style. Yeah. But he has those like motion lines in that, which are kind of similar to like the stop motion Apple in Eagle versus Shark and the like drawings that he has in this. Yeah. Did you get, I really thought for most of this movie, maybe from seeing his later work, that it was going to end with Rocky really having powers. <laughs> <laughs> the first scene where they like uh, introduce like, rocky showing him like missing the bus and then like him like holding out his hand trying to blow up the bus <laughs> and then the the drawing sequence of like the bus exploding and catching on fire it was that caught me so off guard and sort of set the tone for like the rest of the movie i felt like sort of just like sort of like fun comedic thing but like also subtly like oh that there's something deeper there uh, that they sort of get into later in the movie, but mm-hmm. that that was probably one of my favorite bits in the whole thing. Yeah, you talked about Eagle versus Shark also. I don't know. I feel like that movie is much more going for comedy than this movie. Mm-hmm. And then it has a little bit of like a sadness, weirdness in there too that just kind of like makes you think a little bit more. Mm-hmm. This movie, I think, is telling an actual story and then it's sort of like coding that with humor all the way through yeah to sort of make it more bearable yes i would definitely agree with that they're like this is not structurally a comedy in the way that eagle versus mm. shark is a sad movie that is structurally a comedy this is i don't know i mean like it's a coming a of sad age movie that is very funny <laughs> a sad movie that is very funny a coming of age story a tragic coming of age story that's very funny Mm. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, there's there's something to be got at though in the both the similarities and differences like that this has shares with Eagle versus Shark. I think, and I think it's interesting too that they almost I mean almost rip off two cars one night in that one scene in this movie. It's like a more than a nod to to that film. Uh, it actually it may not surprise you guys to learn this, but I read that 
he started writing this movie after Two Cars One Night. Oh. To be his first film. He actually mm-hmm. workshopped it at the Sundance Lab. And then I think that he said he he wanted something that was less dramatic and more comedic. Mm. So he like put it aside and then started working on Eagle versus Shark to do first and pick this pick up after. That's interesting. You can definitely see the similarities. There there are multiple scenes that are just sort of two cars one night extended <laughs> edition. Even the relationship of the brothers is sort of the same as yeah. two cars one night. So this is the second film written and directed by Taika Waititi. He's the only credited writer-director. The score is by local band, local Wellington band, The Phoenix Foundation, who also did the score for his first movie. It runs one hour and 28 minutes, which we love to see. Taika, our short king. I mean, really, really, if Taika can deliver a movie that has every range of the emotional spectrum in less than 90 minutes... Why am I logging on to the internet and reading the Batman is going to be three hours long (laughs) reading uh, No Time to Die, two hours and 52 minutes? Why are we over delivering when you can wrap it up so easily? That's what I'd like to know. How long is Thor Ragnarok? That's what I'd like to know. Ooh, that is a good question. Because it's part of the series thing that in every series movie, you have to finish up the story you were telling in the last movie, start telling and tell the story that you're telling in this movie, and then start telling the story that you're going to be telling in the next movie. And in this sort of a movie, you don't have to do any of those things. And so he just kind of gets to, gets to be short and sweet. Two hours and 10 minutes. So he's practically doing the very short version of a Marvel movie when he does that, right? Like in all practical <laughs> yeah, terms, of. he's doing an 85 minute feature when he does <laughs> an, a two hour and 10 minute Marvel film. Yeah. And that's the only one of his movies that is more than two hours. Even Jojo Rabbit is not. Is yeah. Like, Jojo like, Rabbit, I think is the second longest, but it's still under two hours. I think it's interesting too, that this film nods presciently both to Hitler and to uh, and to the Hulk, obviously two characters who would will stay on Taika's mind for the next several years. <laughs> Seemed almost a bit prophetic in that sense. Yeah, I mean he bring it, he brings them up multiple times. There's an interesting wrinkle there because he didn't direct a Hulk movie. You know, he directed True. a Thor movie that he chose to put Hulk into. And make about Hulk. <laughs> That's a character that has been on his mind. <laughs> is what I think you see here. Yeah. Thor Ragnarok is basically Hulk 2. If you if you squint, parts of it are. I mean... The, I think that movie also has the only nudity in the entire MCU. When you see Hulk naked. <laughs> Hulk's naked buns. I completely forgot about that until now. So, thank I you. I see it every night when I close my eyes. <laughs> I think even the fact that this movie has like a mid credits and a post credit scene are kind of hinting mm. at the Marvel stuff in some way. Oh yeah. But yeah, lots of little nods to his I thought that was really cool too. And you know, I just wanna highlight this was released March twenty fifth, twenty ten in New Zealand, three years after his first movie which was three years after Two Cars, One Night, which got him the Oscar nom. And then it's another five years until What We Do in the Shadows comes out in America. So 
there you can sort of see like he took his time and i feel like that like cult status of him like what you were talking about, Emmett, that people were talking about this movie makes sense when you consider there was so long between his output. Yeah. yeah. And we were sort of getting it like in radio waves over here in America, too. Like it didn't come out right away, you know? Yeah. No budget or box office for this because it was once again funded by the New Zealand Film Commission, funded by the government. But it was at the time the highest grossing New Zealand movie. Right. So, like, the film that had been made in New Zealand that made the most money in New Zealand was this movie. The year it came out. Well-received. 70 on Metacritic versus Eagle versus Shark, 55. So, also, when you combine the two names, it's Eagle versus Shark Boy. Oh, that's good. What do you think he's trying to tell us here? (laughs) I think he's going to be doing the Shark Boy versus Lava Girl threequel that we have all been waiting for, where Taylor Lautner is finally unmasked <laughs> once more. Have you seen uh, I, any of the Shark Boy versus Lava Girl movies, Patrick? I have seen the first one more times than I would care to talk about here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can we can get into that on a on a different podcast, maybe. <laughs> But, uh, yes, it it constantly played on public access television uh, when I was growing up, and I could probably recite far more lines from that movie than I would care to admit as well. Uh, (laughs) But you haven't seen the sequel? No, I have heard about it. I don't think I want to. The only line I can currently remember from that film is Taylor Lautner saying, she needs to cool off. <laughs> I I can remember a bunch from like the bully character. I can remember a bunch from the teacher played by George Lopez. Yes. <laughs> that that and Spy Kids. I know I know far too much about both of those movies. Yeah, Spy Kids and Spy Kids 3D Game Over. Those are the two that I know super well. I feel like I only watched the second one once. It was a little scary to me. Was it the second one that had all the thumb people in it? That's the first first one. one? The second one is like Dinosaur Island. Oh, man. I I was always scared of the the thumb people growing up. Like, they, they freaked me out. They still do. Has anyone here seen Thumb Wars? No. What? Is that okay, a is that a movie? I don't want to talk anymore about it. Okay. All right. Getting back yeah, on What's the plot? What's the plot of this movie, Evan? Okay. Young boy named conveniently Boy has uh grown up being raised by his grandmother and his aunt because his mom died giving birth to his little brother, Rocky, who we also love. He's made up lots of amazing stories about his dad who is some sort of hero, he thinks, probably. Um, And then when his dad shows up, having either busted out or bailed out of prison, it's not ever really 100% clear. He comes home and is just kind of a mess, is, is like kind of a loser, basically wreaks havoc on their life, which was maybe not the best, but at least had like like some sense of working normalcy to it. A classic story of like disillusionment and growing up and learning to see your hero, specifically your dad, as, you know, the flawed person that he is. 
Well, he says in the opening moments that his two heroes are his absentee dad and Michael Jackson. Yeah. So you're like, this kid is in for a lifetime of disappointment. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like, that is just setting up a tragic flaw immediately. Yeah. All of his moves are so much fun. Like, all the dancing in this is so incredible. <laughs> yes, he is being set up for a lifetime of, of unfortunate revelations. Uh, and, and I'm not going to get too much into the whole, like, over Because, as I said, it is very episodic. And so, like, it's just a million different little things happen. But basically, the dad is coming back because there's some money that he buried in a field a long time ago probably gotten some illegal or or immoral way but who's to say um that he buried in the field and he's come back and he's digging for it the whole time trying to get it one day boy digs it up when his dad's not there he takes it back and is going to give it instead it looks like either to his grandmom or his aunt when the family goat eats it the goat is later killed in a tragic car accident by the dad by the dad uh, driving drunk home from a party with everybody in the car the boy confronts well tells his dad that he found the money but they all got eaten up by the goat his dad like smacks him around no he i mean he smacks his dad around oh yeah oh yeah that's, that's the, the scene where he's, yeah the climax is when he's smacking his yeah he smacks his dad around after his dad's friends have like run off with the car and all the drugs and everything and his dad is just like a complete you know mess at the end and he's mm -hmm. like slaps his dad around and then at the end it's him and his dad and his little brother at their mother's grave what is the dad saying he's saying some story or something because what was like the most striking to me about all of that like the whole ending is there's this other arc going on where his younger brother is like not the reason that his mom died but his mom died in childbirth mm -hmm. giving birth to his younger brother and so his younger brother, like, feels guilt about that in some strange way. He, like, thinks he has powers, thinks he killed his mom. And it seems like the dad doesn't want anything to do with that kid at all. And that might be why. And then at the very end, he seems to make, like, some gesture of acceptance. And there's just this, like, look that you get from Boy of, like, seeing him and knowing who he is. And that's, like, what we end with, which I think is really interesting. The other revelation before that is that Boy also thinks that that's the reason the dad left. And then you find out he, like, accurately remembers that the dad was not even there at the childbirth. That, like, the dad had kind of already pieced out. Right. And that all of his memories are, like, false things that yeah, he had yeah, made yeah. up. And that's when he's, like, smacking his dad around and stuff. And the ending, tell me if this is correct, Patrick, I believe it is that he has sort of just covered for the dad who has run off again and told the little brother that he went to Japan, like giving the little brother the story that the dad is cool, actually, and you don't need to worry, mm -hmm. like protecting him in the way that he used right. to be protected. That's what it is. And then when they do see the dad and they do have that moment all together at the mom's grave, the little brother asks, how was Japan? <laughs> Mm -hmm. and the dad like knowingly looks at boy knowing that he's covered for him basically yeah about halfway through the movie it's like made known to the audience that they've been lying to rocky like boy told rocky hey you got powers and that's why mom died that's not like 
yeah, instead of like telling him the harsh truth of it, he, you know, told him yeah. a, a story basically. And so that subplot has been carried through all the way to the end of the movie. It's a great sort of uh, depiction of the relationship, not only between the boy and his brother, but also between, you know, uh, the boy and his dad and the, the brother and his dad and just how little Rocky actually knows and sort of how boy has also been keeping himself in sort of the living a lie to sort of make things better. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely a lot in this movie about like the cycles of abuse and like sort of the way the dad treats boy ending up becoming like the way the boy treats everyone Mm -hmm. around him. Mm -hmm. The movie is set they say over a week, I mm-hmm. think, or it's supposed to be a week that the grandma has gone to a funeral. Okay. And so Boy is like the one kid who's watching all the others because he's the oldest of the six children, his brother and his four cousins who are in this house, all being raised by their grandma. But it feels more like uh, several months, at yeah, least to me. Yeah, it feels like, like a whole... Yeah, it feels it like, feels like a, a summer, almost. Yeah, a summer, yeah. When, when the grandma comes back at the end... It sort of like clicked with me, like, oh, it's only been like a week or something. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, it definitely feels like a, a significantly longer amount of time, like a month at least, uh, a summer, like you said. I mean, feels like a, a very like summer movie, I feel like. He's also, I mean, tracking some of the other themes. He's also a Maori kid. Uh-huh. He's living on a reservation there in I... New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of tracks back to some of the other to take his own life and like mm. some of the other things we've seen in the other two movies. Yeah. I hear what you're saying about that. Like, it's hard to see those like realistic depictions of families and, you know, financial straits like that. Or it's just like kind of, it's, it's sad. It's, it has, it has some sort of like resonance. I also think that like, the whole coastal ennui thing I was definitely in, on board with and like <laughs> like the looking like the longing looks out over the ocean like always like being out on the edge of the world like that I was struck by that a couple of times even the fact that his like greatest love is Michael Jackson which is sort of like an imported yeah thing from another culture you know? yeah it's from so far like from so far away which I guess in 1984 that's a different thing because he was the biggest thing in the world ever at that time so yeah but yeah it is interesting that it's like an American pop star that's gonna be his yeah I feel like that's kind of there in Eagle versus Shark 2 where they're like doing all the quotes from the Terminator and oh yeah like there's just a lot of American pop culture references especially considering these two were like New Zealand funded weren't Hollywood movies were right. planning to come to America you know right F- like for the culture by the culture there's a hmm. lot of like references to all kinds of American stuff. That's interesting. I know the dad mentions he's seen like E.T. 10 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> As like a point of, of bragging. Yeah. And the movie opens with a quote from E.T. as well. <laughs> written out. And what does, how does he describe the plot of E.T.? I think he says Space Kid. About <laughs> Space Kid. <laughs> Something like that. Also, like, their accents are incredible. It's just kind of wonderful to let it wash over you and try and make sense of what they're saying. 
Yeah, how about what about his two mates? How did you feel about those guys? Because the dad claims to be in a gang, which is really just like that he has made jackets for him and his two friends called the Crazy Horses. Well, one of his. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Isn't in two cars one night when they ask what the book is about, he says, Crazy Crazy Horse? Horse. Yeah. It goes deep. Goes deep. Deep connection. The one guy of his two friends uh, is the same actor I think you played either the brother or the computer hacker friend in Eagle vs. Shark. I can't remember. Oh, okay. And he shows up again in What We Do in the Shadows in a small role. So he okay. might be one of his friends from the old New Zealand, what was it, the improv gang in New Zealand that they had? Yeah. Also, I just want to talk about what an incredible performance this is from Taika as both director and co-lead in this film. Mm-hmm. I feel like he is already in this so well-formed as both a director and an actor. He is really in that role, for one thing. He's, like, in it 100%. Is not afraid to make that guy look like an asshole, which he is. But, like, isn't, like, worried about... Like, he just isn't worried about it. It It's just, like, going for it, looking ridiculous, looking mean and cruel and dumb and hilarious, uh, all of the different things. And then also having, like, such a tight, like, visual eye on the movie. There's a scene that especially spoke to me of, like, the three kids across from the three gang, like, the dad and the two gang members across from each other in the table. And, like, that scene mm-hmm. where Boy is on the, the, the whole scene where Boy is on the bridge and then goes over backwards and, like, falls off. But, like, that whole sequence. And just all of the weird, like, Far background, background, mid-ground, foreground stuff um, during all the hole digging, where they've got a whole scene being played all the way down, like, all the way down the depth of it, instead of, like, across the screen, which is just not usually how you see it. And just, like, all sorts of interesting uses like that, beyond just, like, the little animation stuff and, you know, obviously his kind of, like, wacky, absurd absurd voice in the writing but like it's all there it's like all there in every aspect Mm -hmm. and like even when you said the thing about him going back and remembering i hadn't caught that the first time that he isn't in like the second string of memories like the dad isn't in the second string of memories but that makes like a lot more sense and it's like it's stuff like that i don't know those little things that are hints as often happens when confronted with an excellent film, like a true, like a truly like five star film, uh-huh. there's little to say about it other than go watch it. <laughs> to that point, Emmett, I feel like maybe more than anyone we've ever covered, in the best way, there isn't much growth to track with Taika. There is in terms of scale and budgets mm-hmm. and filmmaking technique, but in terms of like. When you watch Two Cars One Night, uh-huh. you're like, that's Taika. Yeah. Like, that's the first thing he ever did, but you're like, that's Jojo Rat, that's Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it kind of came fully formed. I do think, like, the style of it evolves, mm-hmm. but there is so much of him here that is, like, fully formed in his second movie. And I feel like we take it for granted with him specifically, but, like, so many great child performances in this movie. Yeah. I I hadn't even thought about it, but I mean, truly, like, for a large chunk of the cast being child actors, they did an incredible job. I don't think there was a single 
single one that I could say didn't do very, very well. I mean, they're all young, too. Like, Boy is the oldest, and he's 11, mm-hmm. and was 11 in real life when they were filming this. Yeah, he's got those, that cousin who seems to be about his same age, a younger brother, and then the two little baby cousins, and then all his school friends. And uh-huh. all of them putting in great performances. Even, yes. like, those babies. And there's, like, one shot of the babies just, like, doing something. You're like, oh, my God, they're acting exactly like babies act. That's incredible. <laughs> the babies are so cute. They are. They really are. Um, he also has a crush on a girl named Chardonnay. Oh, yeah, that's Should excellent. Talk about that. Is <laughs> very good. And then this other girl, Dynasty, has a little crush on him. I feel like as an adult, you're like, oh, that should be your little girlfriend. She's much better than Chardonnay. But in the moment, of course, he doesn't know that. That's yeah. just like one of his friends, you know. He doesn't let her play with the sprinkler, but he lets uh, Chardonnay do it right away. Mm-hmm. There's that moment in the like the blown out house towards the end mm. where he like goes. They're like framed together in some interesting way of him and the other girl, not Chardonnay. I'm blanking on the other girl's name. Dynasty. Dyn- is that Dynasty is her name? Yeah. yeah. It's the friend girl. There's some interesting thing there. That scene was very interesting in the fact that there was basically nothing said. That that was basically the part of the movie where you would think, oh, yeah, boy's going to go, like, apologize to her and say, hey, mm-hmm. sorry, I've been uh, a bad friend and all. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't say anything. He just, like, gives her a sparkler. The directing there is so strong. It just carries the whole thing where they they don't have to say anything. It's just very, very well done. Yeah. How did How did we feel about the subplot of the brother and the weirdo? I think it's really sweet. I think it's really tender. There's this old, maybe, I guess he's not homeless because we see he's got a trailer up underneath the bridge, but he's just like this old dude. The two kids both say he's mental. He might have some sort of mental disability, Um, but he just seems like a nice kind of strange guy who lives down by the river and doesn't (laughs) want anything to do with anyone else except maybe these boys who he just kind of puts up with. It was very cute seeing them interact and seeing uh, Rocky be like, hey, sorry, my powers might have messed with you there. Mm-hmm. The guy down by the river just being like, yeah, cool. I think what one of the best parts in the whole movie is when Rocky is screaming in the mirror and the house, like in the little animation, the house like blows up and he like is too big for the house. And then mm-hmm. it just cuts back to him screaming in the mirror. I think that's like, that's really taking that powers metaphor, using it all the way bringing that whole image full circle, I feel like, in a cool way. Also, just on my own personal little uh, thing that I love to track through these films, in Themes of the Ogre Father, which, like, obviously, like, he's a bad dad. Like, what what do you expect? But there's a part, he's got a throne where there's literal antlers, like, coming out of his head, like he's the devil or something. Hmm. And that's pretty cool. And we see both him and the son sit in it. Something interesting about that, like inherited evil. Yeah, I feel like there is a lot of like generational inherited stuff. I mean, we talked sort of about like it being passed on, how boy is treated by his father. But I think there's also an element, too, of like you become what you are pretending to be if you do it long enough. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like you can really tell with boy, again, going back to how good of a performance this kid gives that like at the beginning when he is acting like his dad 
when he is like smoking and wearing a jacket and telling the other kids he's not going to cook him dinner and stuff like that. Uh-huh. That he is like kind of pretending. Like he he isn't actually like a cold hard dude. Yeah. You know. He's still the sweet kid, but he is like trying to be like that because mm-hmm. that's who he looks up to. And then you kind of see him actually become like that over the course of the movie and like wake up to that towards the end and try and go back to like the very sweet caretaker presence he had before. And I feel like that's an element of this movie. Like if you just pretend to be something for long enough, like you will become it or everyone will treat you like it. So yeah, I did really enjoy, um, I mean, all of the scenes with boys sort of taking care of his siblings and making dinner for them. were all so sweet. Just mm-hmm. like them all sitting at the dinner table together there's a there's a shift in the middle of the movie where he's like acting more like his dad and he throws together a meal of bread and milk like poured over it it's like milk powder right and then they stir it all of his siblings just look at him like that's it and i think uh that sort of contrast was was both like sort of funny and sad at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was really sweet seeing him like look out for his family and I enjoyed it. I feel like a lot of that movie is is this like funny and sad at the same time. And I feel kind of too as in Jojo Rabbit, the sadness is kind of mitigated because you've got the funniest actor playing the worst character. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, because Taika is just like so magnetic, and again, like an eagle versus shark, wearing a ridiculous hairpiece. Yeah, <laughs> that it like makes that character so much more bearable. Yeah, because you love spending time with him in a good way, not in a way that I think or redeems the actions of him, just in a way that like makes it a better movie. Right, watch. he somehow manages to balance being both incredibly funny and so unlikable at the same time like i would hate to be around him but man (laughs) man is he fun to watch i mean (laughs) i mean also the whole crux of this movie like a small little detail i love is that he's trying to find the money and we find out the money is 880 (laughs) dollars which is in new zealand dollars so that's like converted about 600 us dollars which is a lot of money when you have no money, but like to uproot your life plans to come back home and see your children for the first time in six years. That is assuming he had life plans to sure. uproot in the first place. To I uproot mean. whatever he was doing before <laughs> this to try and get $600 felt very accurate. Yeah. Um, oh, I love the joke too that they're all just named after places on the map, they're just named after like different cities and stuff. Except one of them is named Michael Jackson. Yeah, I was really wondering when I watched this, like, how personal of a movie it was mm-hmm. for Taika. Because we know that he had, like, a Maori father. We know I know that his parents split up when he was little. Mm-hmm. So I tried to do some research. He didn't really talk about it a lot at the time. Mm-hmm. But I found an interview he gave in 2019, which was four years after his father passed away in 2015. Where he said that, like... The movie was very biographical. Hmm. He said he grew up living with his mother in Wellington, and they were very poor. He said that their like family dream his entire life growing up was to have a microwave. Wow. So that is kind of taken from this movie where the dad shows up with a microwave, mm-hmm. being like the coolest thing in the world. 
but he would like go and visit where his father lived on the East Coast, which I think was very similar to where they live in this movie. And that's sort of where that is taken from. And he also said that his father was one of the founding members of the New Zealand biker gang, Satan's Slaves. Wow. (laughs) What a name. Wow. So I don't know how they compare to the crazy horses, but that clearly is like a direct inspiration for him. Yeah. But also I know that his dad was an artist, was like a visual artist, and that's what Taika started doing too. So I would imagine that he maybe was closer to Taika's portrayal here than to what you picture when you think Satan slaves, you know? Even without knowing the background, it felt like a very deeply personal and like intimate movie just in how it's, how it's shot. Like you, you see a sort of deep reverence for the land and sort of the wide shots, just like beautiful, like mountains and coastline. And then these like sort of tight, like close up shots of just them all in the house together. It, it feels very personal to watch. And I think that gives it a lot of, of power to the viewer. I really love, and this is also in that sequence that I talked about earlier, but there is a rendition of Amazing Grace in Maori, right? Is Mm -hmm. is that what it's in? And in some way that like kind of, I don't know. It is an encapsulation of a lot of the things that this movie is doing. It's familiar and it is, it's familiar and it has this distancing thing and it is comforting, but you don't know where you are, (laughs) you know, you're like, (laughs) and it's like, maybe it's a little sad, you know, and it's, I I don't know. Yeah. I thought that I just, that just really struck me. Yeah, and then sort of the mirror of that is over the credits to the style of Michael Jackson's Thriller, they do a Maori haka dance. Mm -hmm. Like, the entire cast does that, which is so incredible. So cool. Okay, well, one of the segments that we're doing each week for Taika is the House Report, where we talk about Rachel House, who is in every one of his movies. In this, she plays the, the auntie, okay. who presumably, who they say has every job in town. <laughs> Um, there's a great little montage of her doing all the different jobs and then she tells boy to get a job and he says you've got them all (laughs) and i want to point out that in the credits i read that she was one of two acting coaches on this movie um and i think that she worked with the kids a lot in terms of getting them like coaching them into how to act on screen so i i really loved what little we got to see of her uh, I mean, the little bit of boy asking for a uh, ice block and then her just holding up the sign that says no. That got me every time. <laughs> Not a very constant presence, but whenever she's on screen, she's pretty great. I thought she was funny. I love the I love the part, like you said, Patrick, where he, when he comes in after he's found the money and he's like, well, I'm going to have all of this. <laughs> she says five dollars in Monopoly money or in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Funniest joke? Did anyone have a favorite joke in the movie? I really love the moment where a boy goes, it's a haircut. It's called style. Talking about the tragic haircut that he's gotten from his father, defending it. Uh, I mean, this is another one of those things where it's funny, but it's sad. Uh, They're like all playing soldiers, and it's like the one time where they seem like they're actually having a fun, good time together. Mm. And he decides to like shoot his dad, 
and then his dad trips over something which is also this other thing this movie is doing is like does rocky have powers he might um (laughs) and then rocky feels really like seems like he's messed up about it and he also seems like a far less violent and like into the whole like aggressive hoodlaming than the other two well he seems like the sweetest which is what makes it so potentially heartbreaking when they're in the two cars one night sort of scene when Mm. he's like i want to get to know dad too like i'm like him too Mm. and you sort of know the path he's being set up for and then i feel like what they see that night with them getting beat up and then Mm -hmm. killing leaf sort of like dissuades him of that yeah Taika Waititi, I mean, he has so many great just one lines in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mentioned earlier, he's seen Thriller 10 times. All, all, He has so many just fun things that he just says and then does not follow up on that I thought uh, made, made the character pretty fun to watch. Uh, I gotta say, though, my favorite, like, funny thing throughout the whole movie was just all of the, the fun, like, dance numbers. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. my favorite had to be the one where they're getting into the bar fight and the boy is like imagining it as, as this like uh, elaborate like dance choreographed thing and then he like snaps out of it and it's just him getting beat up by these guys and I, I don't know the, the dichotomy of that like really really caught me off guard it was pretty pretty funny yeah Yeah, something else along with that is I feel like the editing in this movie is really good. Mm. For the comedic stuff, but also for, like, how beautiful this film is. Like, there are so many times it will just cut to, like, a character in a field or, like, out on the coast and you just see, like, a few flashes of, like, quiet moments with them. And then you go back. And not in a way that it's, like, Emmett was saying that it's tracking, like, an emotional or a plot through line. Like, just in a way that you like really immerses you in the whole thing i feel like yeah mvp mvp most valuable character other than the protagonist i am going to take both boy and his father little shogun and shogun off of the table for this but other than them who's our favorite character patrick you get first pick i mean i gotta go with rocky i loved seeing his character i think that all of the thematic stuff like his sort of subplot underneath boys like main plot was so interesting and compelling in like a very subtle way just revealing like oh hey uh his brother like lied to him about him having powers to protect him from the truth i thought that was like a a subtle thing that was just like really really nice to watch and his his character is also like very funny and sad at the same time i feel like he hits on really sort of the the heart of what this movie uh is in a lot of ways all of that stuff felt very life is strange to me like the brother dynamics the like supernatural element Hmm. emmett mvp i'm gonna give it to the old weird guy uh who lives (laughs) down by the river who i think is really fun in every scene that he's in and has some sweet words of wisdom is i think like a better Mm -hmm. father figure to rocky than the dad ever is and like that's what struck me in those scenes with them there's also something like like all of those other kids are also just like running around and like cutting up and doing crazy like everyone it's like 
Well, I mean, and the, there's even the comment about it is like the other kid's dad is in the same jail cell as his dad <laughs> or yeah. was at some point. And it's uh-huh. like a lot of like, uh, it, it seems like a lot of these kids are kind of feral and just run around and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very fun and exciting way to grow up when you're a kid. Like, look, it's not until maybe like you look back on it that you're like, there were like some things that you missed out on from the, from that. But yeah, which I think adds to like that summary feeling of it too. Mm-hmm. freedom. Yeah, like Rachel House doesn't have a husband. There's no grandpa with the nanny. Yeah. Even like the one other father figure, if you can call that other than the weirdo, is like the one good teacher who talks to him uh, in the yeah. hall, tells him he has potential. <laughs> but then he even leaves like once the time on the clock is 2.30 or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, can't stay any longer. <laughs> Gotta go. Yeah. Uh, as for me, my MVP would be Leaf. Oh, someone Leaf had all to. day. Absolutely. He was so good. I was so sad. Oh. When he, when they ran him over and the dad was like, it's just a stupid dog. And was just like, get back in the car. Oh man, it, it got me. Uh, it was truly yeah. heartbreaking. And then they go out later and like drag his body home mm. to bury him, which mm. you see like in the night when their father can't see. I mean, the movie was already like very sad for me and I loved Leaf. And then when that happened, it was too much. <laughs> truly was too much. Damn. Okay, let's uh, let's do some final thoughts. Final thoughts about Boy, and then we'll get into a quiz, which I'm very excited for this week. Oh, hey, another great joke. Um, when the dad kills someone with a spoon. Oh, yeah. He wasted them with a spoon. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed all of those uh, earlier in the movie and uh, later on in the movie, too. All of the scenes of just sort of the... Uh, the boy daydreaming about the possible like Mm -hmm. things his dad has done a lot of effort went into those just for a single shot of like taika standing in like full scuba gear that gets used maybe like once or twice in the whole movie there's like the whole like black and white like samurai scene Mm. uh there's there's the black and white like prison escape scene like it Mm. all of those were very very funny like cutaway jokes and I felt like they really added to the comedy and sort of setting setting up the world and setting up the, the boy's idea of who his dad is, only for it to immediately be broken down uh, when he shows up. Really, really fun to just see sort of the, the gradual sort of realization that, oh, my dad kind of sucks. And now I do too, because I'm <laughs> acting like him. It was very compelling to watch, and I thought it was very well done. I, I had a good time with it. Okay, I have a couple of thoughts. I'm trying to like make them make sense. <laughs> Basically, I think that if an American had made this movie, it would have been terrible. And I think that it's because it wouldn't have been funny, and it mm. just would have been... like It would have been the same story as this movie, but it would have been just the sad parts, and we wouldn't have gotten that dreamy part either. Because what I think is really interesting that Taika did in the last movie and in this one, and then we get to talk about this again in a like new twist on it in the next one that we talk about, but is a sense of 
film gives you the idea, like at first it gives you the sense of objectivity, right? Because it's like images of things that have already happened are being presented to you. But like what's excellent about film and like what makes the greatest films is like subjectivity and putting you in the headspace of the characters and like seeing through their eyes, which is the thing that theater can't do that film Mm. can do better is like putting you to see directly what they're seeing. And whether that means like a literal POV shot or whether it's just that dreaminess that kind of instills throughout this movie and throughout Eagle versus shark. I think that subjectivity is really important in crafting something like, as we said, we've all talked about like how intimate and personal this movie feels and how like real all the characters feel. I think that plays into it somehow. It really is through that person's lens. And I think now about a lot of dramas or movies of like a similar story arc to this movie, which would be presented in a very like dry matter of fact way. Like here's the, with very little insight into what an individual character was how the individual characters saw it rather you'd see what they were feeling but you wouldn't understand their whole vision for what was going on with them and i feel Mm. like the same way that you do you really get it with um with these yeah wait thoughts i'd like to come right out of the gate and apologize for saying that taika waititi sometimes felt like wes anderson to me on our past episode because i think like having now seen this and like gotten back fully immersed into his thing like he has such a unique voice and it is like whimsical in some ways like wes anderson and in eagle versus shark there is much more of that symmetry that is really kind of gone in the later movies uh in terms of like similar visual style but i feel like this movie in particular I was really blown away by I agree with what Emmett said, like, you should watch it. That is the main thing you should take away from this conversation, especially if you like Jojo Rabbit, because I think it feels very similar. And a lot of people I know like Jojo Rabbit and probably haven't seen this like me. I think it was ahead of its time a little bit in a couple different ways. On one way, I think, like, because of the reputation Taika has now, like, I think if this movie came out this year, it would win Best Picture. Mm. Genuinely. The fact that Taika is now like popular enough to have won over, you know, all these other series in our Bumtober. If someone was like, Taika Waititi has made a movie about his childhood and it's like set on the coast of New Zealand and he's playing his own father and it's like a comedy drama about like the things the children go through. Money in the bank, best picture. <laughs> yeah. And this movie is so good and so beautiful and like yearning in that way too, that it feels the most like prestige drama-y, but it also is so funny and approachable that you aren't thinking about that that much because it is his unique voice. And also I think it's a little ahead of its time on the eighties nostalgia Mm. because I'm thinking about other 2010 movies and two others come to mind that I think were also sort of written off in the moment because they were too early. I'm thinking of Super 8 by J.J. Abrams, mm. which, if you haven't seen it, is Stranger Things. Yeah. It just came out five years earlier, and so 80s nostalgia was not really a thing in the exact same way. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, people didn't pay attention. And I'm thinking of Tron Legacy, which is sort of the blueprint for all of the legacy sequels. Like, it's about a new 
person going in and like meeting the legacy characters of the original Tron and like it also is kind of a soft reboot of the first movie where it's repeating a lot of the sequences Mm -hmm. you know like that is absolutely setting the template for the force awakens and jurassic world and stuff huh but again i don't think in 2010 the moment was not exactly right where people were like give me all of my 80s properties again please Hmm. and i feel like this movie is just like a little bit ahead of that curve you know yeah but i think it has truly like aged exceptionally I think it's so good. Go out and watch it. I'm very happy to have watched it for this podcast. And I can't wait to watch the sequel, Boys 2 Men. <laughs> that's that's incredible. <laughs> no one said you couldn't make a movie about a boy. <laughs> Boys, where do they come from? What do they want? Find out tonight. I also just want to say that this movie, you joked about boyhood earlier. And otherwise, I wouldn't even have brought it up. But if you have seen Boyhood and you want to know why I hate Boyhood, just watch this movie and you'll understand. Because this is a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, speaking of boy movies, Uh it is time for our quiz, our favorite part of each and every episode. Oh, man. The quiz game bums the word. Uh, where I have a list of movies that I'm going to give hints about, try to get you to guess. Whoever guesses the most correctly wins. What ties all of these movies I have here today together is that they all contain the word boy in the title. (laughs) And let me tell you, I had more than I could have ever imagined. Really? Yes. Many more than even made this list. But I have here 11 movies that all contain the word boy in the title. And I'll say that in some of them, there's more than one boy. I want to get that out of the way to begin with. So, okay. Um, okay. Everyone ready? Ready. Film number one is a 1995 action movie. This is the first movie from sort of an infamous, very popular, but very memeable director. Wait, is this bad boys? This is Bad Boys. <laughs> One point for Emmett. Well done. The directorial debut of Michael Bay, Bad Boys. Wow. Let the bay him commence. <laughs> okay, film number two is a 2019 comedy. What to say about this movie that also stars a lot of child actors. Uh, this is a movie where the main characters are all children. But they're doing things that children should not. That's where the comedy comes into play. Is this an animated film? Nope. This is no, a live is action a live film. Action. And you said 2019? Yes, 2019. A recent film. This is very much like kind of a, a raunchy, rowdy comedy that stars little children. And like that's kind of the joke, is that they're innocent kids getting into like a little bit of a crazy world. All right, I'm just going out on a limb here. Is it called Boys Night? No. (laughs) That's a good guess, though. Is it Bad Boys 2? No, but it is related to the title Bad Boys in some sort of way. Interesting. You're a bad boy, Charlie Brown. (laughs) No. These boys, they're not bad. Good boys? It's good boys. (laughs) Is it really? No way. Yeah, you guys, I remember this trailer coming out. I don't know 
if you guys saw this or anything. It's with Jacob Tremblay and two other kids, and they, like, I think they somehow end up with, like, a brick of cocaine or something. It's, like, three middle schoolers. Oh, I do feel like I remember seeing one R-rated preview for this in, like, uh-huh. some in some movie. God, back when we used to go to things in theaters, see R-rated previews <laughs> for things. So exciting. I feel like the wires in my brain associated with this movie and, like, Bad Grandpa. I, I know there were, like, oh, yeah. two, like, mm-hmm. raunchy comedies that came out in 2019, and I just uh-huh. associate them together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now we know boys can be bad and they can be good. And we'll have to find out what else they are with the rest of the quiz. Film number three. This is a 1987 teen film, I'm going to say. Listed here as a horror film. I, but I don't think that's exactly accurate. I would call it a teen film. This is sort of a seminal movie for our parents' generation uh, in terms of basically having like a ton of hot young <laughs> teen stars in it <laughs> and introducing them to like some horror concepts because they want to see those kids in movies. Does it have Chief Keith in it? <laughs> uh, by, by whom? I mean, Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> <laughs> it does it does indeed is, is it the lost boys it is that is three points damn it still anyone's game i really didn't know that Kiefer sutherland had done anything other than 24 but here he is as a young a young hot punk vampire unbelievable yeah and have you seen that movie emma I just watched it, like, sometime in the past couple months. Oh, okay. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. I think you would really like it. It has both of the Corys in it. It has both Corey Feldman and Corey Heim. How could it be better? Wow. Okay, movie number four. This is a thriller from 2015. Um, I think it's fair to say that this is an erotic thriller. The rare resurgence of the erotic thriller. It stars a major a-list pop star as the lead would it be in reference to judy garland's classic song the boy next door it is the boy next door starring jennifer lopez wow emma you're absolutely crushing this quiz i don't know very many boys i'll be honest with you movie number five and this is a classic american film in all seriousness, this is a 1991 coming-of-age film. Yeah, it's about a group of boys growing up, and some of them go down better paths than others. It is uh, from a very famous, a very famous but perhaps underappreciated auteur director. This is his first movie, and he was nominated for Best Director, becoming the youngest person to ever be nominated for Best Director what? for his first film out oh. of film school. Wow. With this movie. Is it Stan Boy Me? <laughs> the title is referring to Where the Boys Live, which is sort of what what ties them all together. Boy House? Oh, is it Boys in the Hood? It is Boys in the Hood. <laughs> that is five points to Emmett. No points to our dear <laughs> guest, Patrick. But we have 11 questions, so it is still anyone's game. Uh, now with film number six, this is a 2008 historical film based on a 2006 novel. It's a World War II movie. And in fact, I'm just reading that the lead is played by Aza Butterfield of 
sex education hmm. who i love in that show and did not realize that he was in this when i watched this as a little kid when it came out uh, this is sort of about two two kids on different sides of a conflict in world war ii yeah, the boy in the stri- striped p- pajamas is that that's it? correct <laughs> oh my god one wow. point to patrick it is indeed the boy in the striped pajamas well done anyone seen that one remember watching it with my mom and being very very sad (laughs) (laughs) you know who was like hey let's make a world war ii movie for kids i mean (laughs) take my tt later truly (laughs) truly um film number seven this is a 2009 superhero film that is what this is saying. I, superhero film is fair, but don't get misled by that. But this is a very popular character, and this is an animated film about this character. Is it Excelsior, Boy Wonder? No. This is a character to whom I have been accused of taking some fashion inspiration from before. Which is I it, will not confirm or deny. Is it Hellboy? <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> Wade taking fashion inspo from Ron Perlman is the best thing I've ever heard. It is not Hellboy, but Hellboy was movie number nine on the list, and I'm going to go ahead and give it to you, Patrick. <laughs> I'm going to preemptively give you Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy. No, this is another character. You guys have both seen this character. You know this character, but maybe did not grow up like watching his stuff specifically. It's not based on a comic. This is a superhero from a manga. Oh. Uh, Astro Boy? Yes. Damn. Nice. Astro Boy. That is three Patrick, five Emmett. Well done. Best guess I had for that was One Punch Boy. <laughs> I don't think that's quite right. <laughs> okay, film number eight, I guess. I don't know. I've lost track. This is a 2014 coming of age film. That's about a boy growing up. <laughs> what else can I is say it directed about this movie? By a complete hack. <laughs> well, that's true. Did, did, did a certain sister of a certain actor that we love win an Oscar for this movie? Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm reading Patricia Arquette won Best Supporting Actress for this movie. Nothing against Eminem Patricia. hasn't said the title yet. So if <laughs> anyone has against, a guess. Nothing against Patricia Arquette. But boyhood sucked. I can't believe I got to say it three times on this episode. I wasn't going to deprive you of another chance to to name drop boyhood. We've had boys in the hood and now boyhood. Okay, our penultimate film is a 2018 teen movie um, adapted from a 2014 very popular young adult novel. This This is a movie that a lot of people said was better than it had to be. I haven't seen it, but I've always been kind of interested in seeing it better than it had to be well it's like a teen movie to begin with and then it's uh-huh. also like a rom-com which as huh. we've as we talked about with Nicole and smith don't really exist anymore but this hmm. film brought it back in some ways it came straight to netflix the title is a phrase is it uh, i guess boy oh boy <laughs> <laughs> no it's not sort of a common phrase but the the uh this is a movie about a young girl's diary, which has like gone oh, missing. Oh, is been it to leaked. all the boys I ever loved? 
All the boys I never kissed. All the <laughs> I, all the boys I, I loved before. Yes. Okay. I unfortunately, as soon as you said came straight to Netflix, I thought of uh, the classic Tall Girl. I know that goes completely oh. against the uh, the topic of the quiz, but Tall Girl. Any Tall Girl fans in the house tonight? <laughs> Is that Tall a movie? Girl 2, yes. Uh, it's not a good movie, but it's very funny. Tall Girl 2 is coming to Netflix soon. What is the premise of the movie? And how does it relate to its title, exactly? Uh, it's about a girl who is tall, and how that makes life hard for her. How tall are we talking? Uh, like six foot, like fa- fairly tall, but not, not, uh, not outrageously tall interestingly enough does she have a short best friend yes i i don't want to spoil tall girl for any potential listeners but (laughs) (laughs) yes there's a short best friend and you know i'm not afraid to say it on air i've got love for a tall girl (laughs) tall girls there's nothing wrong with you that's what i'd like to say okay our final film in this quiz 2011 action film playing in a lot of different genres but action film, it's from it's from a very populist director, from a director famous for giving the people what they want. It stars some like huge classic all timer action movie stars in it. I wanna say that this is another movie that I think was a little bit ahead of its time and has just sort of like been lost in the fold. What year did you say again? Two thousand eleven. I can't really say the premise of this movie because it's the title. (laughs) The title is the premise of this movie, but it is basically about one group of people to which all of our heroes belong fighting another group of people or another group of characters. Maybe not people. Exactly. That's a little hint. Boys versus Patrick. Come on. (laughs) Let's get the alley-oop on this Uh thing. monsters (laughs) yeah that's pretty close (laughs) that title is pretty close this was like one of the many attempts Mm -hmm. or one of a handful of attempts of creating a second franchise for daniel craig while he was in the middle of his bond ring and it is very funny that like the only one that takes off is knives out so it is the seminal sci-fi western classic, <laughs> Cowboys versus Aliens. Yes, that is correct. Um, yes, Cowboys and Aliens. Cowboys and Aliens. Maybe if they had just gone the extra mile and called it Cowboys versus Aliens, it would have <laughs> would have landed how they wanted. Wow, any fans of Cowboys and Aliens in the house tonight? I... Have never seen that movie. I didn't know Daniel Craig was in that. That's crazy. Would it blow your mind if I told you there was a movie directed by John Favreau? Holy hell! That stars Harrison Ford and Daniel Craig as cowboys who are fighting in the Wild West aliens. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what the people want, is it not? So it's The Mandalorian. So he was just like, I know y'all really want the Mandalorian, but I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna oh, wait on that and give you this prototype first. Test the waters ten years beforehand. I've got to say, I've been really 
nostalgic for the Mandalorian lately while watching while Book watching of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett, which which Absolutely. vacillates between utterly incomprehensible political drama and like also fairly incomprehensible fight sequences. <laughs> and like why what's the deal with him always taking off his helmet? It's like establishes this huge thing in Mandalorian. I never take off the helmet, mate. And then he's just like every other scene. He's like, Christ, it's hot in there. Let me have this under the old arm. <laughs> my my roommate and I have remarked the exact same sentiment uh, every week when we sit down to watch the new episode. It's so bad. It's so bad. And I really, I've got to say that the Robert Rodriguez directed Boba Fett episode of The Mandalorian is my favorite episode of The Mandalorian. Like, I have nothing against the man or the character. They have just have whiffed it so completely. I, like, went back and rewatched that episode because I was feeling nostalgic. And I was like, wow, we really did not give this credit for how good it is compared to all of the Disney Plus Marvel shows, some of which are good. But, like, it looks just, like, on a different level and especially compared to the Book of Books. And isn't that the same one with the Death Knights coming in, too? Yeah. yeah, the like, Death Troopers. The Death Troopers coming in. And, like and all with the, the... the temple where Baby Yoda is like floating and stuff. Oh, yeah. There's like a timer on the whole thing because Baby Yoda might... Or yeah. like there's a bomb or something. Yeah, that's a great... That is a great episode of television. There are a lot of uh, crazy cameos in uh, Book of Boba Fett. But what's his name? Matt Berry voices oh, yeah. the droid. Big fan of his from what we do in the shadows yeah the tv show right yeah i hope it will get better at some point but it sure has not yet (laughs) it does feel like they kind of like shot themselves in the foot because the mandalorian is the boba fett show you would want (laughs) right like that's the show about like a mysterious mandalorian bounty hunter who never takes off his helmet going around and kicking ass in fact, the only thing we really wanted about Boba Fett was the sequence that they showed us, I think, in the first or maybe the second episode of him, like, crawling out of the Sarlacc and, like, doing all the cool stuff with the Tusken Raiders. Like, that's the stuff you want to see. But where he goes after that, honestly, doesn't matter. And you kind of know all of that stuff from The Mandalorian. Like, they spend so long on it. Yeah. But, like, when he shows up in The Mandalorian, he's wearing Tusken Raider robes. He's got the Tusken Raider stick. Yeah. He's on Tatooine. So you're like... Okay, well, he he probably crawled out of the sand of the Sarlacc. Yeah, made friends with some sand people. Yeah, I don't think we needed four episodes of like very drawn out flashbacks to tell us basically what we already knew. And the cyberpunk kids, I cannot handle. <laughs> I simply cannot. Oh, his like new his new crew of people. Oh my god! I okay, so I haven't watched the most recent episode yet. Okay. But I might be about to go do that right now, honestly. They're not a big part of it. I'm not into anything that is going on on that show right now. Why not? It should be so cool. It's yeah. like, I'm going to bring Anna back to being a crime lord. <laughs> I love the idea of the cyberpunk kids, but they are so out of place here. Yeah. They do not feel like they were made for uh, this show. They've got, like, the squeaky clean Power Rangers Vespas that move at 10 miles an hour in the slowest chase of all time. God. Also, we're four episodes in. When's he going to write the book? (laughs) I haven't seen a chapter of this thing yet. Also, are there antagonists in this show? Like, 
is there a plot? Is anything happening yet? Another uh, another episode farther along than I am? No? The end of episode four, there is still nothing happening. Oh, good. There is a promise made that we will see a character who we like next week. Okay. To do what, for what purpose, against whom, still unclear. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. What can you do? Uh, Patrick, thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for having thank- me. Always thanks a great so time much. to have you on. It was a joy talking about boy with you boys, I have to say. Where can the people find you online? And anything you want to plug while you're here? Uh, You can still find me at my YouTube channel. I haven't made anything in a hot minute, but maybe soon? I don't know. There's maybe some stuff in the works. We will see. But uh, all of my great older work is there, if you care to (laughs) peruse the vault. Other than that, um, I'm out here. You can see me uh, on the street. <laughs> Patrick said, catch me on the court. <laughs> you find me. You, you guys know where to find me. <laughs> okay, well, we will be back in 26 weeks with Nope, as the year of Nope continues. But next week discussing what we do in the shadows very excited for that well thank you so much patrick everybody thank you as ever for listening and uh stay frosted cinema bums is a production of dkg podcast it is created and produced by emma temple and me wade lawrence holloman I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 